The season of Advent came into being initially as a season of penitence, a time for prayer and for thanksgiving leading up to the season of Christmas. And because it was a season of penitence, like the season of Lent, that's why the color purple is the, the, the symbol of, of Advent as well as Lent. However, somewhere along the line, somebody figured out that all of this abstinence leading up to Christmas could become kind of oppressive, especially in the long, cold, dark winter months in Western Europe where Advent was initially observed. And so the church came up with this notion of uh, the third Sunday of Advent being what was called Gaudete Sunday or Joy Sunday. That's why we light a rose-colored candle on the third Sunday of Advent. It's a, a lightening up of this purple penitence of Advent. And the church gives us readings on the third Sunday of Advent that are focused on joy. We've heard, as Rick read, from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, in which he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And now we turn to a song. It is the song that is found in the 12th chapter of Isaiah. And Eugene Peterson, who is the mastermind behind the reading Bible that's entitled The Message, says that the words of Isaiah are watercolors and melodies and chisels which bring out goodness and truth and beauty. Now, in truth, uh, Peterson also says that Isaiah's words can be scalpels and swords and hammers. But we're going to focus today on the melodies. And here is the melody, the song that Isaiah sings. The 12th chapter, verses 2 through 6. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isaiah 12 is a song. It is a song of praise, a song of joy. And of course, we are in a season where there is absolutely no dearth of songs. All I have to say is, Alexa, play some Christmas music. And immediately, there she is standing right in my kitchen, Mariah Carey, saying, all I want for Christmas is you. And no sooner has she hit that last note than there's a knock on my front door, and who should come waltzing in, crooning, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas 
than Michael Buble himself. <laughs> now, I'll confess that I really enjoy a sip or two of the cup of Christmas cheer that Mariah and Michael serve up every time the season rolls around every year. But in this particular year, a year in which we have all experienced the rising and the falling of COVID graphs and a change at church, and in my case, the death of my mother, I find that my heart is longing for something more, for something more than Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and have a holly jolly Christmas. And so I'm grateful for a song like we have read today. Perhaps it's the same for some of you or perhaps for many of you. And if it is so, then we are given a gift in the words of Paul and in the words of Isaiah. In Celtic theology, there is this notion of what is called the thin places. And the thin places are those experiences that we have where it really seems that that which is visible and very much in the here and now comes in close proximity to that which is invisible and eternal. And I think to fully appreciate the depth of the song that Isaiah sings in chapter 12, it's necessary for us to page back a chapter to chapter 11 of the book of Isaiah. For there we find Isaiah bearing witness to a vision that he's had, an experience of a thin place. It's that familiar vision of a peaceable kingdom, that vision of a calf burying its face in the golden mane of a lion the vision of a baby goat nuzzling up to a leopard who is purring contentedly, a vision of a cow and a bear sharing breakfast, a plate of fresh green clover, and chatting amiably as they eat. And in the midst of it all, the children the children, the children who are riding their bicycles and roller skating and jumping rope, and there is not a trace of fear on their faces or in their hearts. It's that thin place where Heaven and earth seem to meet in our experience, and everything is seen in its completeness, where there's no more distress or tribulation, no more grief or pain, no more Twitter fights or mask, no more cancer or dementia. 
It is the song of somebody who has seen what God envisions for the whole cosmos. But the truth is, that's not where we live every day. We live with only our finite view of reality and where we are in any particular moment. And so we can be grateful for these third Sunday of Advent songs like Isaiah 12 and what Paul writes for us and even these Christmas carols that we sing here in church. For they convey an honesty about where we are. They vibrate with both a sense of our finitude and also help us to look to that day of God's completion of it all. We sing these Christmas carols that we love, and it's helpful for us to recall the context in which they came to be, many of them. It wasn't in the midst of a perfect world. That beloved Christmas carol, Silent Night, we sing it, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm and all is bright. And many of you know the story of how it came to be that on one Christmas Eve, Father Joseph Moore came to church and all of the music had been so well rehearsed. But what had happened? The organ was on the frets. And so what was he to do? I'm sure he wasn't calm. He scratched out some words. He handed them to the organist, Franz Gruber, who picked up his guitar. And he strummed out, very much on the spur of the moment, the tune that would become so beloved by so many through the days that have elapsed since that day in 1818. And today we sing It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, a song that mentions angels bending near the earth with harps of gold. But in the third stanza of that hymn that we have sung, we have sung these words, at we on earth at war hear not the tidings that they bring, remembering that those words were penned as the storm clouds were gathering, the storm clouds of civil strife, just before civil war broke out, a civil war that would split this nation in two. And we will sing, O little town of Bethlehem. It came about because that great renowned Boston preacher Phillips Brooks had been to Bethlehem and one magical night he had experienced a Christmas Eve service and he came back to Boston and he, he told his 
organist, Lewis Redner, that we have to compose a hymn that will be so great and really recreate that absolute magical moment. But Lewis Redner couldn't find the inspiration. He was under pressure, stressed about it all, but he couldn't find the tune. Until in the middle of the night before Christmas Eve, he woke up and he had a little bit of inspiration. And so he wrote out the tune and the next day he handed it over to six Sunday school teachers and 36 children and said, sing this tonight. Don't you know they love that? <laughs> and then Isaiah and Paul. Paul writes the words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And from whence was he writing those words? From a prison cell. A prison cell of all places. And we recall that when Isaiah wrote these words, this song, and when he sang it, it was in the midst of his beloved Judah being invaded and under siege by powerful foreign forces. This is the context in which these songs are sung. And when we find ourselves in these ordinary, difficult places in our lives, they call upon us to sing. Recognizing, as that terrific writer, Kate Bowler, the Duke Divinity School professor who at the age of 35 was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer has put forth in her book published just this fall entitled No Cure for Being Human, that here is where we are in our beautiful, terrible finitude with our gossip and our laughter, with our petty fights and our pets. <laughs> with our reluctance to check our voicemail and our long, long, deep, heartfelt chats with our long and dearest friends. Here we are in our terrible, beautiful finitude. And we are invited to sing. Because the promise is that when we do that, God is opening up the possibility of our experiencing thin places in our own lives where we feel the goodness of God the promise of God, draw near. But there's one last thing. It may very well be that there are some of you who are here today or at home who don't feel like singing.
who simply don't feel like singing. Perhaps it's because of grief, or perhaps because you or someone whom you love is very ill. Perhaps it's out of doubt that there is God at all. Or perhaps it's out of some, something in your life that you can't even name yet. And if you can't sing today because your vocal cords are paralyzed and your tongue is stiff, then let me say that that is okay. It is okay. Because one of the great gifts that God has given to us when Jesus Christ came and created the church is that all of those days when we find it, we find that we are unable to sing. There's somebody sitting next to us. And that somebody who is sitting next to us is singing for us and on behalf of us until that day comes and we are able to lift our voices in song once again. Amen.